And then when we do the second part, you go three, two, one, and we're back. And then we start. Is that what I should do, Hedge? No, I was just saying. <laughs> you have a crack. How are you? Yeah, good. Yeah? How's life? Yeah, not too bad. Yeah, so you... Uh, Mate, I've got the uh, the new phone with the 5G. I can confirm I'm growing a penis out of my back. 5G? Yeah, you know how it is. How is it? Terrifying. Is it fast? Terrifyingly fast? No, I haven't actually noticed the speed, to be honest. I haven't really fucked with it too much. Have you got tower? You must have. Where's the closest tower? Oh, question. Up the road. Yeah? You know no, where that studly golf course is? Nah. Right. Anyway, there's a big tower coming out of the fucking ground there, and they went and put all the 5G stuff on it the other week. Nice one. Yeah, internet was down for a week and a half, but hey, I'll take the pros with the cons, eh? And then you got a got a dick on your back. Yes. It's just growing quite small at the moment, yes. all the Well, you know, it's in the shape of a dick. I'm just hoping it really plums into one. <laughs> plums, <laughs> doesn't, eh? Doesn't just, you know, hang off there. Yeah. Like an intruder. So you, um... There's more fucked up things going on, mate. Oh, the election. One. The American election, yeah. The USA election. It is the country of memes. Yeah, yeah, it is. Excited. They're just non-stop with those memes, aren't they? I love it. And I love the fucking trash talk from either side. Mm. Democrats, Republics, they're all shitting on the other, you know... What's that fucking word? Candidate? Well, you can't call it that now. You have to call it the uh, president-elect, Joe Biden. Trump hasn't even said that he's... He hasn't, like, uh, like called him up. Like, that's the standard is you call him up and congratulate him and concede. Best part of that about that was that every country called... Joe Biden, including Mr. Morrison. On your sky, man. But uh, except for Russia. Yeah, Putin's like, ah, oh, you got to <laughs> fucking recheck him. Yeah, he said, uh, uh, I won't ring up and congratulate him until it's 100% decided. It's more uh, official. Yeah. Good on him. What about... Um, Just wait for his Russian spies to kill a few people. I wonder if uh, Kim Jong-un has uh, called Biden. I don't know. I don't know. Him and Trump were such good friends. She had such special moments. mm a lot of people think Biden's a pedophile, like... Have <laughs> <laughs> you seen all that shit? Yeah. It's in the video compilation. Yeah, yeah there's a few compilations out there. Creepy whispering to children. Yeah, just touching Holding them. of the waist. Yeah, Caressing of the hair. Mm. It's too much, eh? Soft-spoken voice. But you reckon it's just... He's just like old school, isn't he? He's just like a bit touchy. These <laughs> <laughs> two words start with T. We go touchy or traditional. The one you want. Mm. But hey, fuck it. He's taking his dog in the White House now. You can't touch him. Yeah. What he's straight back major? in that Paris Agreement, isn't he, uh, Biden, when he when he gets in? Day one. He said that's the first thing he's doing. Well, one of the first things. Crazy. He's getting busy. It's just... it's It really sucks for the Americans, but like over here, it's just like, what else is going to happen? What's going to happen today? It's entertainment. That's uh, America's biggest export, entertainment. And they are physically the entertainment. <laughs> Literally. Literally. Yeah. Every day it's a new meme and I'm just like, oh, that's a good one. Yeah, thank you, America. Keep coming. <laughs> it's Keep not coming. Eh? It's wild. But um, it's just what it is, isn't it? I mean, they inspire Halloween costumes, Biden and Trump. So it's, I don't know. They do it all. They do it all. Anyway, I'm sure everyone's had a gutful <laughs> of the elections. What about Gladys, though, wanting to... um. Change the Australian anthem the other day. Take a bit of heat off her back. That's such a political move. Isn't it? Isn't it? It's like, so, uh, I've had enough people knowing that I'm fucking one of my colleagues. Let's change the song that's been created for, and fucking around for years. Yeah. Let's get the controversy stirring. She's like, I wasn't dicking around. 
That was your line, wasn't it? She's been dicking around. <laughs> nah, you sent something to me. I'll find it. Just, yeah. just so we can be accurate. But anyway, if anyone doesn't know, Gladys was like our New South Wales Premier and she, um, start, she was sleeping with some MP in Wagga. Good old Wagga. And then uh, he was doing loads of sketchy shit, if you don't know. And she like knew about it. And then she had like a, an ICAC hearing and she was like grilled for like loads of hours. And they got one line where like they were tapping her phones and like one line, I forget, what did she say? Oh, she was like, oh, I don't need to know about that. Or something like that. Like when he was like confessing to a crime that he's done. He was like selling passports to China. And like, he's like sending bales of hay, I believe, over to China. And, but purposely having like bad bales in there, like. So they were sent back. Rotted out so they get sent back for some reason. It was like a tax scheme or, I don't know, yeah, drugs I don't know maybe. What, Who what knows? the method of that move was, but that was a bit sketchy. Yeah. You said, I reckon it's a tactic she's using to take focus off her and her sketchy dealings. Go, Brett. <laughs> I said, dealings or dickings, mate. <laughs> she's right. out here straight vibing. Straight vibing. <laughs> <laughs> she literally is. But yeah, so she wants to change the anthem. What do you reckon? It's only one word, to be fair, isn't it? One, well, it's a couple, isn't it? I don't know. I forget, to be it's honest. Um, I'm loading up the oh, <laughs> I heard article. about it the other day. What is it? Uh, no, yeah. So she wants us to be... Uh, the New South Wales Premier said, changing the words of Advanced Australia Fair from young and free to we are one and free would be a great way uh, to better acknowledge the nation's Indigenous history. Yeah, Hitler would have loved that. Hitler would have been like, change it all, the whole thing. <laughs> would have been like, Let's make a new one. My ideas, everybody. One, two, three, one. four. <laughs> <laughs> but that was Hitler, wasn't it? And then uh, what else has she done? She's announced, was that her scheme? With the vouchers? Give $100 for dining entertainment for everyone? Oh, I don't know if it was her scheme. Was uh, it her? Is that national? Is it ScoMo? Oh, I don't know. This is New South Wales. It's yeah, state. came out today, didn't it? Um, yeah, everyone, you're getting 100 bucks if you don't know in Australia, if you're over 18. To spend on entertainment or You know the thing food. is, it'll come in the mail and look like Rest most fake vouchers that people send no, out no, to no, and I, people I, just bin it. No, I'm pretty sure I read that um, it's, it's, it gets like on your app. So they try and oh, get us all to use that app. Not the COVID know. safe app. Maybe. maybe. Fuck me. It's one of the apps that they're trying to get us to use. Never downloaded it. Still got in the pubs. Still got served beer. So fuck off. Depends where you go, eh? Like uh, I was over near Port Botany on the weekend and like... The restaurant, there's just no COVID safe stuff really happening. There's something on the table where you can like like uh, get the menu through the QR code. But then like I went to somewhere up the central coast and then I was having lunch there with the missus and then like they're on you like a rash. Like saying, have you signed in? <laughs> like on Some everybody. places, man. The thing is because some places know they've got more to lose if they get shut down. True. Other places just don't give a fuck. Yeah. Like we went to Bathurst one weekend and had breakfast there and they were like strict as. Mm. Write down the numbers if they're like were exceeding or they felt like they were going to exceed with the booking coming in. Like, no. They got more time on their hands in Baffers, let's be honest. I don't know, they like were a pumping. Yeah. It was a busy Sunday, so. Busy Sunday? Oh, man. It was fucking race week. So. Yeah. I don't know, I think it depends on the venue, but yeah, there's a lot of people out there not giving a fuck. But How was Baffers 1000, mate? Tell me all about it. I didn't it. get to watch it, oh, mate. No. Don't bring it up. I don't want to talk about it. Yeah, tell me all about it. And. Mate. Van Gisbergen won, so we've got nothing to talk about, really. <sighs> oh, okay, okay. Holden's last year on the track, though, so a bit sad. Yeah, well... Australian icon. They're made overseas now as well, aren't they? So it's just a bit... Yeah. What do you mean? Well, that's why we're racing 
Kamara's now, so not as of this year. They don't, I don't think it's as of next year or the year after. They're racing Chevy so the- Kamara's to take on the Mustangs. Oh, cool. Yeah, That'd I think right. I'm not sure if Holden's back in all of them. I don't think they would be. I think they'd only only be back in some teams. Mm. But I don't know. Go on like Ford, mate. See you, Ford. Australian icons out the fucking window. Yeah, they're all going, aren't they? Remember when Bonds left? Fuck you, Bonds. I still never. <laughs> I always try and like avoid Bonds, man. Ever since they left Australia and like um went to Chinese for manufacturing, I was just like, fuck yous. So many people do it, but. Yeah, but fuck you know, good news actually on that. They're creating a new a factory down in Melbourne um, to produce vaccines yeah. and equipment for pandemics. Apparently, yeah. it's like the largest in the Southern Hemisphere or something. In, in Victoria, was yeah, it, and that's all you yeah. know, homegrown, made in Australia. So, yeah, how's the one point five billion we spent on uh, the vaccine that hasn't <laughs> been approved? Guys, <laughs> come on! Is that the ninety percent success rate one? I think it's ninety four, isn't it? Oh, I don't know, I don't anyway. Know, mate. I've stayed out of that news. Yeah, I reckon, mate. But 1.5 billion ain't nothing to sniff at, <laughs> let's be honest. What if it doesn't work? But anyway, fucking let's not open that can of worms. Is this you listening to 2UE in the morning? No, man. That's just all me. <laughs> <laughs> I brought it up with a few people. Everyone's like, what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's morning coffee in the lunchroom talks, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, and I understand. Fuck it. Anyway, um... What else has been popping yeah, off heads? Got to grow bigger monkey brains using human genes. Elaborate. Replicating evolution. You've got my attention. Is this a link? This is a link. Get your link up, mate. You open it and tell me about it. You're putting it on here. Fucking hell, you don't Educate me in the audience. I'll educate by... Uh, I did look at it roughly when you sent it link. to me, but... I didn't I'll get too deep this. in it. But yeah, we, um, we're going in with interestingengineering.com so it's scientists grow bigger monkey brains using human genes replicating evolution uh, this may have replicated the moment in history where humans and primates were set apart in evolution it's our larger brains that set us apart from other primates but when we evolved from non-human primates one specific gene gene came into play which made our brains bigger while theirs stayed smaller now a collaboration between researchers in Germany at the Max Planck Institute of Molecule Cell Biology and Genetics. Oh, there's an ad. Sorry, everybody. I should have ad block on. Uh, and in Japan at the Central Institute for Experimental Animals uh, has used the same gene to grow a monkey brain to be bigger for the first time. So it goes on for a while. I won't, I won't dribble on about Don't it all. Don't get into it too deep. It's, it reminds me of that, um, I think I've heard in the news. It wasn't, it's relatively recent. In China, how they, what were they trying to cure? Well, they weren't trying to cure something. They were trying to alter a gene and ended up curing that person of AIDS or something. <laughs> what? That's really? legit. Really? It's legit. And they cured them of AIDS. AIDS? Give me some Google Actually, words, I don't know if they cured them of AIDS or they made them immune to AIDS. AIDS cure... China laboratory. I'm not sure what they were trying to do. It was ASQ 2020, which is the hottest hottest search. Let's uh. Well, they do have something. Nah, nah. As of February 13, currently there is no uh cure for HIV slash AIDS. Once you have the infection, your body can't get rid of it. However, there are many medications that can control HIV and prevent complications. Yeah, that's not China. That's not China though. You're back in China all of a sudden, aren't you? I think it's a Chinese laboratory that I think they were doing something with twins. Twins? I don't know. Mm. Gene editing. And they ended up, they were either immune to AIDS or they cured AIDS. I'm not too sure. 
We're I going shouldn't in. be making statements like this. We're going we're in with twins gene editing aids is the key words on Google. China? <laughs> you want China <laughs> in there as well? That's where it is. Uh, the twins called Lulu and Nana know. reportedly had their genes modified before birth by a Chinese scientific team using the new editing tool CRISPR. Yes, I think that's the one. Uh, the goal was to make the girls immune to infection by HIV, the virus that can cause AIDS. HIV requires the CCR5 gene to enter the human blood cell. Hmm. All right. There you go, mate. Bit there of, you go, mate. Food for thought. Bit of food for thought. All right, should we get into uh, this week's episode? What are we going to be discussing, mate? Yeah, we're going to chat about the Mongol Empire, aren't we? The rise and the fall? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, oh, I didn't know from, much about it. so like From Genghis to... To your boy. To my boy, to Kublai. Boy. Kublai, of course, yeah. So, um, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll get into that shortly. Yeah, surely, yeah. All right, everyone stick around. Stick around. See you then. Just around the corner. Three, two, one, and we're back. So you think Genghis was right, Brett, and that we need another person to kill millions? We need another... <laughs> I never said that. They're your words, not mine. Oh, we're live. Oh, sorry. We're live. Mm. We're live. So the Mongol Empire, what do you know about it? Not a lot, but we did learn a lot recently, didn't we? We did. Quiet. We did. We deep dived, as I would say. Yeah, we deep dived hard. So the Mongol Empire lasted from 1206 to 1368. That's 162 years and spanned it over 24 million square kilometres. Can you believe it, White? That's a lot of distance, Brett. That's a lot of distance. They were working hard. They briefly ruled most of modern-day Russia, China, Korea, Southeast Asia, Persia, India, the Middle East, and Eastern Europe. They reshaped the world's geography, culture, history, and they brutally killed 40 million people, which decreased the world's population by 11%. Gone! Hitler ain't got shit. Someone I learned about the other day while I was researching about this, Mao Zedong. Without getting too off task, everybody, but you know that's what we do. He killed 70 million people in the 1900s between 1946 and 1976. Do you know how? China. China Empire. Yeah, but like, what? From what? There's no. He had a gut full of everyone's shit. He's done. Yeah, finished. He uh, is responsible for the inhumane economic policies such as the Great Leap Forward, slave labour, and violent political purges such as the Cultural Revolution and class extermination. What a bastard. Anyway, so no one's beaten him yet, Mao. But anyway, so this all starts, it begins many generations before Genghis. This story of the Mongol Empire begins with Alan the Fair. That's right, Alan White. Sounds so biblical. <laughs> Doesn't it? <laughs> Alan's sneaking in there going, hey, let, let me let me set it up, guys. So what it is, it's, it's cited as a cliched incident in which a mother gathers her bickering sons and has them break first one arrow and then has them try to break a bundle, which they can't do. The moral? To survive and conquer, stick together. Now, this is seen as part of Genghis Khan's manifesto showing how... Divine will has been at work to produce him. As the opening line states in the famous book, The Secret History of Mongolia. So, mate, The Secret History of Mongolia, it's like the Bible for Mongolia, believe it or not. You've been balls deep, haven't you? I haven't, I haven't got it. I bought the wrong book. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I bought a book uh, by a bloke called John Mann, original name. <laughs> and his book's called uh, The Mongol Empire. Original name. 
But yeah, he cites it a lot in the book. So it, it reads in that book and in uh, the Mongol Empire uh, by John Mann. It reads, uh, a deer and a wolf born with his destiny ordained by heaven above. It tells how this worked in practice. Twelve generations back, there was a woman, Alan the Fair, who bore two sons. Then after the death of her husband became pregnant three more times. Her two oldest sons accused her of being a filthy whore and having sex outside of marriage. Not at all, she says. A resplendent yellow man came into the tent through the smoke hole and his radiance penetrated my womb. Then he crept out on a moonbeam in the guise, sorry, in the gaze of a yellow dog. It's said to be an immaculate conception with a messenger from heaven, Wyatt. Mm. <laughs> you reckon she was telling porkies or did that really happen? Oh, I don't know. She sounds like a bit of porkies. There's some sneaky porkies in there for sounds sure. Like she was an early day, uh, bit of a travelling woman. <laughs> <Traveling around. laughs> Let's use those words. Having a bit of fun. <laughs> so she said that... Play uh, the field. She the Mongol field. These sons are of heaven and are destined to be rulers of all. So that was Genghis Khan's 10th great-grandmother. Uh, that is why they called themselves the Golden Clan, because gold and yellow are the colours from heaven and symbolise supreme power. The Vatican will... Well, go with that, wouldn't they? Like, when you been there? Have you been there? The Vatican? The Vatican, no. Just no. gold everywhere, mate. Supreme power. That's why she gets some gold teeth, I think. Yeah, you can start rapping. Yeah, maybe. Gold chains, gold teeth. Can you afford it, though? Mm, no. Can anyone? Why Why do you reckon gold is the is the main element on this planet? It's shiny. People love shiny shit. Shiny shit. That's true iPhones come out in a new shiny side, and everyone's like, oh, fuck, gotta have it. There has to be a gold iPhone yeah. by now, surely. Yeah. Oh, there is. The new one's gold. Is Everyone it? fucking loves it. Is it actual gold, though? Oh, no. But, like you know a low I mean. carat? No. They should start Surely not. And all the. They just wouldn't bulk sell those, bro. I don't no, care. but they'll sell them to. Um, to there'll be a few idiots out there that'll buy it, that's for <laughs> sure. But yeah, oh, I don't know. Gold would have been seen as something to all the most be worshipped by, I would say. Mm. Um, you know, a metaphor for wealth and power back then. Mm. It always has been, or still is. So, well, if you believe in the uh, the genesis of humans through the Anunnaki, oh yeah, well there you go. That's the biggest example there is, isn't it? Yeah, that, that we were put on this earth or created, sorry, by the Anunnaki to um, mine gold <laughs> for their planet. Yeah, and then we're just like the remnants of the human race left over. Still waiting for you, Nibiru, you fucking Come bitch. Come it's, it's on a weird... um Elliptical. Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> 13,000 years. <laughs> we'll come back into our orbit, everybody. A uh, planet called... 3,600, isn't it? Near, what's it called again? Nibiru. Nibiru, sorry. yeah. 3,600-year rotation. Yeah, but get that up here. So, before becoming Genghis Khan, Temujin was his birth name. He lost his father, who was a major chief in the Karmag Mongol Confederation, uh, whom was poisoned by a rival clan. Temujin, who was nine at the time, had already been agreed to marry a young girl named Borte. This was to strengthen both families and clans. He had been sent to live with her family, but once Temujin learned of his father's death, he returned to rule as he was the next in line. But uh, his followers didn't want that to happen, Hedge. They didn't want to be answering to a boy, so they pissed off. They thought, nah, <laughs> not on my watch. So, yeah, so his family was uh, exiled um, from, like, his clan and just out in the Mongolian plains, just getting by, eating berries and just struggling. Living in poverty. Mm. So that's, like, it's a big part, I, I imagine, in um, 
Temujin, soon to be Genghis Khan. Uh, when you think about it, sort of, sort of all the hardship he went through, losing his father, his uh, family and clan, just going to to total shit, basically. Um, Helped build his personal characterization. Yeah, well, we gave him a lot of will, didn't it? Because he wasn't one to just sort of, as we know, <laughs> just to just bend over and go, okay, no worries. So, so as time went on, his qualities as, as a leader were recognised. His first goal was to unite the scattered Mongol tribes by defeating his rivals one by one, showing no mercy, going against customs. Temujin put competent allies rather than relatives in key positions and executed leaders on enemy tribes, uh, of enemy tribes while incorporating the remaining members separately into his. He ordered that all looting waited until after a victory had been won. He organised uh, the warriors into decimal units of 10, 100, 1,000 and 10,000 without regard to kin. Uh, if one warrior in the unit showed disloyalty in battle, the entire unit was sentenced to death. That's so, brutal, eh? You'd be pissed if mm. Barry just, like, fucking... Barry? Went a bit AWOL. He's like, fuck's sake, Barry. It was, it was mainly in war. I, I read a lot about this. So, like, for instance, imagine if you're... So it goes from units of 10. So, so you and me are in a unit of 10, number eight people, but then we have to go into the unit of 1,000, but we're still part of that, that 10 unit, you know what I mean? Yeah, so, so the 10 die, not the fucking... Hey? One thousand. But we can we're still categorized in that group of ten. Yeah. So it's not just like Brett and White. We've got Brett, White, Barry and seven others. <laughs> yeah. So about, we're in war, right, with a thousand others like going for whatever, and Barry's like, Fuck, we're gonna lose this which many times like the Mongolian Empire have faced faced battles that they shouldn't have won. Which mm. we'll talk about how they did shortly, but like so if Barry's like, Fuck this, hedge, Brett, <laughs> let's go, let's bounce. We're like, nah man, you know what's gonna happen? He's like, nah, fuck it and he goes. We die as well. (laughs) Should write a children's book, Barry the Mongolian. (laughs) But it's a great way to uh, create loyalty because they're all in it. You you walk into war, you know you can't turn around. Loyalty by fear. Exactly. Fear and terror. If you turn around, you're going to die. So you might as well go forward because you might live. So by 1205, he vanquished all his rivals, including his former best friend, Jumakar. Uh, the following year, at the age of 42, he called a meeting of representatives from every part of the territory and established a nation similar in the size of modern Mongolia. He was proclaimed Chinggis Khan, which roughly translates to universal ruler, a name that became known in the West as Genghis Khan. Get a bit of Chinggis up you, hey? A bit of Chinggis. Everyone gets annoyed if you pronounce it wrong, but we're in the West, so we're going to call him Genghis. We're way fucking West, mate. Oh. Well, one notable thing about him was his religious tolerance. And I think that goes all the way down his bloodline as well. They all seem to have the same tolerance and openness, I guess you could say, mm. to other religions as long as they, you know, at the end of the day came back and said, you know, you're my universal ruler. You're my boy. <laughs> my gods are cool, but you're the best. I love Jesus, but you're great too. So uh, Genghis is very tolerant. A lot of his followers included Christians, Muslims, Buddhists. You know, as long as you're, as I said, praying for the well-being and health of the Khan, that's all that mattered to old mate Genghis. He didn't give a shit who you worshipped. He just wanted stability, he wanted his taxes to be paid, and he just wanted you under his thumb. Get under it! Believe in what God you like, mate, as long as you're under me thumb. And then the other side of the coin, you can be seen as sort of a mechanism of control and to keep the empire that he built stable. Well, that's the big factor. It's control. At the end of the day, like, he didn't, he didn't really care. He was, um... He was in animism, so that's sort of like a belief. Uh, it is the belief that objects, places, and creatures 
all possess a distinct spiritual essence. Potentially, animism perceives all things, animals, plants, rocks, rivers, weather systems, human handiwork, and perhaps even words as animated and alive. So he's like taking that one step above religion, hasn't he? See, that, that sounds very Buddhist to me, though. We had Buddhist, as you said, Buddhist, Muslims, uh, Christians. Like, he, he, he sort of, he was very open, very open. He was always interested in learning. And, and we'll get to uh, Kublai, who, who takes over his reign down the line. But like Kublai was the same. He was, he was very keen to, to learn as much as he can. So it was pretty cool. But um, another huge factor of Genghis's success is uh, meritocracy over nepotism. So um, I guess, you know, like we talked about it in the past, Hedge, we've... Um, like politics and so on, like it's it's mainly just like the government's full of like white men mostly from privileged backgrounds. Like where's ScoMo from? Do you know? Fucking Bronte. Not you're gonna say the Shire. I was gonna say Ingerdine. Yeah. But yeah, like that's what I mean. Just like a small example, and like as we talked about the Clintons, the Bushes, like the nepotism is real in politics. The interesting thing about Genghis is he was like fuck your nepotism. Uh, so the Mongolian approach was more focused on meritocracy, a society governed by people selected according to merit. Though the Khan of Khans had to be the tr- uh, had to be a true Mongolian. So if you're going to rule, you sort of need to be Mongolian. That's sort of the catch. <laughs> yes, there is a catch. Uh, the empire was governed by a non-democratic parliamentary style uh, central assembly called a Kurultai, in which the Mongol chiefs met with the Great Khan to discuss domestic and foreign policies. Kuril ties were also convened for the selection of each new Great Khan. Mongols were mostly mountain farmers, but the Mongol army created what historians called the biggest contiguous, contiguous empire in the history of mankind through a well-oiled machine of an army based on meritocracy. Cheeky, eh? Very who would have thought? Who would have thought promoting people that are skilled is the way forward? Motivation. Yeah. Munition. It's, um, it's something you don't see too much in politics. <laughs> Not anymore. It's all about bickering, mate. Who's got the best meme? Show us your meme. That's 2020. Flop your meme out. Meme wars, eh? So, yeah, it's um, credit when credit's due, and it's, it seems like it bloody worked. Definitely worked. So let's get into the... Uh, the nitty gritty of it all, mate. The the warfare and the brutality. What everyone recognises Genghis Khan for, you would say. So how did he take over so much of the world? That's what we want to know. How did that happen? Well, mate, it's estimated that the size of the Mongol Empire army was 110,000 warriors. That's a unified so Mongolia at Genghis's back. So, you know, he wanted to rule the world. So if his expansion continued through Asia, the Middle East, Europe, who knows where he would have fucking gone if he kept going. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. might have overtaken old mate Mao. Yeah. Well, Mao, Mao. I don't think Mao. Mao's the guy that, that killed seventy odd million. He um just yeah. a bloke at the tip of the tree. I think it was mainly China where he was focused in it. He wasn't like Genghis in the sense of like I want it all. I'll rule everything. Yeah. I'll rule Papua New Guinea for fuck's sake. He did want the world. Mm. Mm. So how did they achieve this? They gnawed away at. at Every country and dynasty, like, one at a time. Their immense skill battling on horseback with bow and their unique tactics are what truly led them to conquer as much as the world as they did. So my favourite tactic, by far, is this one, Why? This is the, the punchline as far as I'm <laughs> concerned. According to one story, the invasion of China quickly revealed a serious weakness in the Mongol military effectiveness. The cavalry 
force such as the Mongol army could be supreme in the field, but it was not an adequate instrument for the taking of the walled cities. Genghis Khan offered to raise the siege if he were given 1,000 cats and 10,000 swallows. Uh, these were duly handed over. Material was tied to their tails and this, and they were set on fire. The animals were released and fled home, setting the city ablaze. And in the ensuring confusion, the city was stormed. This was an excellent stratagem, but not one that Genghis could expect to succeed very often. So just light up your cats. <laughs> light up your cats and send them back in. It almost seems like something out of a, I mentioned it again, a children's book, I guess, for a mature child, obviously. But yeah, just like them tactics of, using animals mm. yeah it's it's very it's cheeky. most of the people like, inside those walls are like, what the fuck's going on what why is mittens on fire <laughs> <laughs> so uh there's a few different tactics they went about like one was like the confusing tactic which, which goes in with that 10 1000 cats and 10,000 swallows uh when the mongols encountered uh numerically numerically superior forces uh this military tactic attempts to mislead enemy forces. This is usually created by amplifying an artificial fog of war via psychological operation, information warfare, visual deception, and other methods. A good example is in 1204. Before battle night with the enemy tribe Naiman, Genghis Khan ordered every soldier to light five fires some distance apart, thus scaring the Naimans and enabling Genghis to defeat his widely spread foe. He's very methodical, isn't he? Yeah, he's very tactical, man. You plan that out. You also have the lightning attack. So this tactic, it's probably the most important of all. Mm. So the lightning attack literally means speed and surprise. Mm. So just the matter of suddenness. So in 1213, the Mongol general Jebe... Jebe? Why not? Why not? Uh with his cavalry, failed to take the city of Dong Chang, Mukden. So they retreated for six days over a distance of some 170 miles. And then the enemy defending the city thought that the Mongols had given up. But then Jebe, or mate Jebe, he returned. Jeb's like, you know what? Fuck, I'm going back. I'm going back. Covered all the distance in one night and launched a surprise attack. Mm. And luring the enemy was an, another big factor that of a tactic they use. These tactics was used when Mongols could not break into huge fortified cities or for, through a strong pass. So the Mongols lure the enemy into an ambush. They d did this by pretending to retreat after the battle started. They deliberately threw away gold and silver. Then the enemy think that they are giving up. Uh, this strategy, there's a strategy example, sorry, in 1211, when the Mongols first attacked the Jin territory in Northern China, Mongols commanded by Jeb, your boy Jeb's back, uh, to attack the famous uh, Chibayol Pass. Pronouncing that wrong, anyway. Uh, the pass was... Can't get them all, mate. No, we can't. The pass was backed onto mountain cliffs, therefore Mongols could break through the strong fort. Instead, they decided to lure the enemy out by slowly retreating. The Jin army thought that the Mongols had given up, so they chased after them, and suddenly the Mongols turned back to counterattack. Jeb won the battle... And he just got all the bitches in the end. All the bitches were like, Jeb, you're the one. I added that for a bit of colour at the end. That didn't happen. <laughs> Jeb's got a <laughs> few Jeb battles part. under his belt, I'll tell you. He's doing well. I wonder how many empires or um, 
what's called countries or military forces adopted the methods of Genghis and the Mongol Empire. You know, having modernized them maybe, but you know, twelve hundred to where we are now, it's a lot of years. It's hard to say because it was so. It was more pagan back then, wasn't it? There was less less guns and more more arrows and horses. Yeah. When was Alexander the Great? You tell me. Should have brought Google home in today. I haven't set him. Haven't set her up. Mate, I'm still scarred. She's getting better though. Time. Oh, she's just evolving all the time. Oh, he was way before. <laughs> he was BC, mate. Oh, was he? Yeah. Um, shows, shows our listeners that we don't know yeah. much. That's why we're doing this. We're, we're learning. Well, we didn't focus on Alexander the Great. I just thought for context, but you know, I got yeah. the dates wrong, very wrong. Yeah. So yeah, you got your you got your confusing tactics, your lightning tactics, and your luring the enemy tactics. So yeah, they they had a few. I'm sure they have many more. Do you know what a? You probably don't, mate. But it's I learned about this the other day, so I won't ask. Do you know? Because I doubt. A crash. I'll, I'll give you. I don't know why I doubt you, mate. Do you know what a crash is? No, mate. Go on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it, it, it basically means uh, a living boards or living shields. So it's commonly used Mongol tactic involved the use of the crash. The Mongols will gather prisoners captured in previous battles and will drive them forward in sieges and battles. They were used as human shields and would often take the brunt of enemy arrows and crossbow bolts, thus somewhat protecting the the ethnically Mongol warriors. Jesus. So imagine that. Imagine <laughs> that, man. Imagine going in the war and you're just like, Barry? No, it wouldn't be Barry. Barry's <laughs> dead, mate. All right. Yeah. Well, but yeah, just get your human shield. You'll be right. Well, you know, he is known for his brutality. Mm. The Mongol Empire is known for their brutality. Genghis mm. in particular, that wasn't like just only the few of the things that he did. You know, he used to bloody ball people alive. He freaking kidnapped Chinese en- engineers, have them build catapults to launch on their own people. Isn't that a good tactic? Can't build something, just just steal someone who can. If you're not smart enough, fuck it, beat them to a pulp, make them do it. Mm. Well, the catapults were a big thing. Like, we're trying to break down the, the Great War. They couldn't get through at time, so you know what? Just get some Chinese engineers to make some sweet catapults. And you, you're good. You're in. Fucking nuts, man. A big factor, though, as well, is uh, like the mo- mobility of each Mongol soldier. So basically, they they typically maintain three or four horses. Changing horses often would allow them to travel at high speeds for days without stopping or wearing out the animals. When one horse became tired, the rider would dismount and rotate to another, uh, though the used mount would still have to travel. But that's a good fucking move, isn't it? If horses are slowing you down, just very, bring more. Very efficient mm. in their efforts. I mean, their ability to live off the land as well in extreme situations, like off their animals, like, mm. you know, live off their own... Well, that's what the Mongols were. They were nomadic tribes, weren't they? So they lived 100%. off the land. So so going into battle in, like, foreign areas, they're sweet. Already got the upper hand before they even get there. Mm-hmm. Imagine that, though, living in a time where you don't actually have a home. You're always moving. You're always on the go. Well, the other thing would be, like, you see other tribes and they see the shit that you do to people and they send messengers out and they spread the word and then you've got the the aspect of fear and terror behind you. You already have the enemy shitting themselves before you get there. But that's it. And his tactics, as we are talking about before, like lighting, like, five extra fires per person to act like there's five times the amount of yeah. army waiting Deception. to... Deception, exactly. Yeah. It goes to show that you just... feel like I would have been a Barry. 
We would have been Barry's for we sure. We just fucking legged it. But it's just politically as well, he's just so smart, you know what I mean? Like the whole not favouring nepotism, favouring a merit system is huge. But it also his tactics, um, of he would uh, marry off his daughters to local rulers. Mm. And basically, uh, so that they'll be like someone high power, she would marry like a, a prince or whatever it may be. But then they'll become like leader of uh, like a battalion, you know what mm. I mean? So then, like, it's a win-win for Genghis because his daughter w- would rule that area because the husband, as in Mongol culture, you need to go out there, you need to fight, you need to be part of this. We're all, we're all together as one. So if the husband if husband dies, then, like, Genghis's daughter is now the ruler. Yeah, Hence, Genghis control. is the ruler. So he gets the territory. <laughs> Very fucking smart. <laughs> so cheeky. But, yeah, he achieved so much. But we all die, mate. We all die at the end, his end of the day. His death is particularly interesting. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, Genghis Khan died in August 12, 27, but the exact cause of his death remains a mystery. I mean, I've got no idea how he died, mate. Do you have any idea how he died? There's like, a... does, when any, anyone asks you how did Genghis Khan die, what do you think? you fuck, I don't know. I don't know, but we we got a rough idea now. <laughs> well, a lot of people attribute him to being killed in action against uh, the Western gear. I was say gear. I don't know where I get a G from, but fuck it. X's G's now, mate. X's X's are G's. Yeah. Uh, or illness. Zia? Yeah, you could. Zia. Sorry. <laughs> Either Sorry. one. We should have made a disclaimer. We should have taken all these fucking words wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, other people say falling from his horse, but you wouldn't think so. Nah. They were sort of the masters of the horse. Or falling from his horse in battle, though. So it can yeah, happen. Yeah, true. Happen. Someone cuts out his horse's legs. Mm. Fuck. So, yeah, uh, wounds sustained during hunting or battles. Um, but according to the secret history of the Mongols, that book you mentioned earlier, Genghis Khan fell from his horse while hunting and died because of the injury. Mm. That sounds like uh, a bit of a misleading bit of information that might have been handed down in history. Marco Polo, me. the great Marco Polo, uh, wrote that he died after the infection of an arrow wound he received during his final campaign. So there's many stories out there of why, how, sorry, how he may have died. But he was already old and tired at that stage from his journeys. He'd done a lot. Yeah, he lived a life, didn't he? He did. But tell me about his burial, mate. So years before his death, he, uh, Genghis Khan asked to be buried without markings according to customs of his tribe. So after he died, his body was returned to, the, to uh, Mongolia and presumably to his birthplace in Kental Amag, uh, where many assume he is buried somewhere close to the Onon River. Uh, according to legends, the funeral escorts killed everyone and anything across their path to conceal where he was finally buried. Does that include members of their own who revolted, I would say? Yeah, I read... I read um yeah, the times, things I read said, yeah, yeah, like people that even buried him were, were, were killed. But then on, you read other things and they, they say they weren't. So. It's fascinating, though. They went to that much effort to conceal where he was buried. Whereas, like, he starts by saying that he wishes he was buried without markings. You know, it's according to the customs of his tribe. But yeah. would you really follow the customs of the tribe so strictly as to kill anyone who questioned it? Like, it just seems a bit... It does seem conspiratorial, and there's a lot of people out there that are sort of conspiracy-related to this, but I don't know. It seems like... It's just amazing, isn't it? The amount of people that are devoted to a corpse, so you could say, mm. and keeping that corpse's whereabouts hidden. 
Yeah, well, it's it's an interesting one because, yeah, it, it's part of their culture to, to not have markings when you're buried. But you would imagine he, he didn't want anyone to know where he's buried because it, it would just become like a pilgrimage to that spot. Or uh, they'll dig up his bones. Dig up the bones, mate, and oh, they'll do yeah. whatever they want with it. Gain power from the corpse. Yeah, nice. Grind those bones down. Have a drink. True. Do you reckon that was his orders, though, to be so strictly, uh, you know, devoted to concealing his whereabouts? Or do you reckon that was other people? I reckon it was him. Yeah? Yeah. So you reckon he was up himself? Yeah, man, of course. <laughs> Anyone that's like, I'm going to take over everything that's pretty People up They're going to jig me up. They're going to use my fucking fibia to rule the world. Yeah, well, it goes, like, as I said, like, at the, when we started this with Alan the Fair, it's just like, you just sort of need that sort of, like, little bit of fantasy, that little bit of, hey, this is why we're number one, mm. to run with. And he ran with it. He's like, my great, 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 great grandmother said I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened. I, I just picture goggles, a kid man. with goggles on. He's like, my mom thinks I'm cool. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think a big factor of why it happened though is that um, like all, all the clans are bickering, all the clans were just like fighting each other, and the clans were, were like sort of treated as sort of second class citizens from everyone outside of Mongolia. So um, I think there's a sense of envy, like when they looked into China and so on, like they, they saw this like built up urban lifestyle that looks like quite luxurious, and, and they're like fucking hunting berries and, and killing killing animals to stay alive and, and need to move all the time because the weather's always changing yeah. but yeah so i'm glad he unified him i don't well, know it I'm, didn't end there did it i'm glad i'm glad he unified him but i don't know if he i don't know if i'm glad he, he fucked shit up oh, after yeah, that yeah i don't know if i'm <laughs> glad he reduced the world's population by 11 percent. but hey things can't be choosers yeah so after he died that wasn't it the mongolian empire did not finish there bro so 1227 Genghis dead gone but who came after there's multiple kinds that came after there was definitely and there was some that was self-appointed yeah yeah but fuck all them poses let's go (laughs) 33 years on to his grandson kublai kublai khan also spelt kubla or kubilia or kubilai many a spelling i'm gonna fuck this up but uh he was also known as the emperor shih tzu of yuan or yuan Mm-hmm. And uh, he was the fifth great Khan of the Mongol Empire, reigning from 1260 to 1294. Also a grandson of Genghis Khan. So uh, let's get into him. Get into him. All right. So Kublai was the fourth and youngest son of Genghis's son, Tolu. Uh, Kublai and his brothers, they were largely raised by their mother. She was an intelligent and tolerant woman. Uh, she dedicated her son, herself to her son's career. She also, I believe she's Chinese. They, mate, Kublai has a strong connection to the Chinese. Loves them. We'll get into it. Um, so little is actually known about Kublai's childhood. That's sort of why it skips straight from his non-existence to his fucking emperor being person. Mm. Um, so he was very adept in Mongolian traditions because at a young age while Genghis was still alive he brought down an an antelope with his brothers by like the age of nine it's a good effort they would have been proud of him mate top effort so we're going to a bit of his timeline we'll start his his early life shall we yeah as much as known so on their way home from a conquest of Khwarazmna 
Yeah, it's a, it's a big it's, part of a, the Mongol Empire. Like, they took over that. I can never pronounce it right, but anyway. Yeah, I'm not even going to try again. <laughs> if you want to know, read it. So, Genghis uh, Khan performed a ceremony on his grandson's Mong. I'm going to get that one wrong too, but I think we'll just roll with Mong. And Kublai after their first hunt in 1224 near the Li River. So, after this conquest... Genghis smeared fat from killed animals onto Kublai's middle <laughs> finger in accordance with a Mongol tradition, and he said the words of this boy Kublai are full of wisdom. Heed them well, heed them all of you. Ooh. And then... It's quite a, quite a good testimony <laughs> he got at such a young age. That's right. <laughs> and then shortly after, as we said, Genghis would pass, and Kublai was at the age of 12. When Genghis kicked it, yeah? Yeah. Carked it, mate, in mis- mysterious... Ways, so Kublai's father Tolu, Genghis's son, yeah. he would serve as the regent for two years until Genghis's successor, Kublai's third uncle Ojade, was enthroned as Kagan in twelve twenty nine. So he was um he was the new Khan, wasn't he? He was the new Khan. Mm. He was the universal ruler. So after the Mongol conquest of the Jin Dynasty that we spoke about earlier in twelve thirty six, Ojade gave Hebe. Uh, to the family of Tolu, about 80,000 households. Whew. So Thank you. <laughs> yeah, but Ojede, he died in 1232. So Kublai received an estate of his own, which was included 10,000 households. Now, because Kublai was young and inexperienced, mm. he allowed the local officials free reign in these areas. So corruption amongst his officials... Uh, occurred and then there was aggressive taxation which caused large numbers of Chinese peasants to flee which led to a decline in tax revenues. No good, mate. You can't be having that. No good. Not in the Mongol Empire, you can't. So initially, Kublai did not rule the area directly and instead he left his Mongol agents in charge. So because they imposed such high taxes, that's why these farmers left their homes. Yeah. So when he realised this, uh, he went for consul in Hebe and he ordered the reforms. So when he found out what was happening, he replaced his Mongol retainers and tax merchants with Chinese officials. There again, another link to the Chinese. Oh, Genghis be turning over of his grave. <laughs> <laughs> no, mate, he's going on merit. He's not going on Mongol tradition. He's continuing it. Yeah, but he's backing the Chinese a bit too hard. Yeah, I you know. All that work to fuck him up and now we're just reeling him in. So they helped Ooh. restore the economy. So, by the late 1240s, those who had fled originally returned to the region and became stable again. Mm. So, um, and so that goes without saying, but the most prominent and arguably the most influential uh, component of Kublai Khan's early life was his study and strong attraction to contemporary Chinese culture. Oh, he loves it. Yeah, so he relied heavily on these Chinese advisors. No wonder... I wonder he married a Chinese bird, eh? <laughs> Sorry, I just love it. I love your culture. He's obsessed with it. I, I, I kind of regret back of, my, back of my grandfather fucking you guys up. <laughs> Should have just left early. Should have abandoned. Like Barry. No, it's just tactics. It's just, again, going in with the tactics. Yeah. We're using knowledge now. Go on. Smart. Very smart. It is. So in 1242, uh, Kublai had learned about Chinese Buddhism from the work of the monk Hai Yun, who had become a close friend of Kublai's. Mm. Uh, along with that, other consolers taught him about Confucianism, 
though Kublai's rudimentary understanding of Chinese language and reading was a big limitation for him. Yeah. So, um, in saying that, Kublai also employed people of other nationalities. So, he was keen to balance local and imperial interests. Neat. Good on him. Sounds like he's he's doing good stuff at a young age. Very collected. Mm. So, let's go a bit into his reign. So, by the early 1240s, Kublai had amassed numerous advisors from a range of philosophies and ethnic groups, including Turkish officials, Nestorian Christian, Shaban, Mongolian military men, and Central Asian uh, Muslims. So, the title of Great Khan was eventually passed to Kublai's eldest brother, Monk, in 1251. So, now, the Great Khan Monk declared Kublai the Viceroy of Northern China. So this is where he starts gaining momentum, starts getting traction, following in his grandfather's steps, so you could say. Yeah. So, after being made the Viceroy of Northern China, he sent his brother, Hilaju, west to pacify the Islamic states and the lands and focused his attention on conquering southern China. So, by 1252, Monk ordered Kublai to attack Yunnan and conquer the Dali Kingdom. So, Kublai spent more than a year preparing for his military campaign, which was his first. And this campaign lasted about three years. He didn't want to stuff it up, did he? He didn't want to fuck that up. Give me some time. (laughs) And then two years in, he's like, fuck. fucking over it. (laughs) Just die. So, by the end of 1256, he had conquered Yunnan. It was done, mate. He was on his way. Making his way downtown. So, this successful campaign greatly expanded Kublai's domain. And it was time for him to initiate a large-scale project that would. This would probably demonstrate his growing attachment to Chinese subjects and his concern for their culture. So, his large-scale project was establishing a new capital. Oh, look at him go! He's like, I'll make the capital making city. Moves. He's making moves. So, his new northern capital would later be named Shangtu, which is the upper capital, in contrast to Chengtu. Central capital. So it's actually the contemporary name for modern day Beijing. Get out, really? Yeah. So Chengdu used to be called Beijing. Uh, it's either Chengdu or. Or Chengdu. Yeah. However it's pronounced. Oh. Well, yeah. That's, sure that's right. So Europeans would later interpret the city's name as Xanadu. Xanadu! Sounds like a fucking ad, doesn't it? Sounds like a drug. Sounds like. Ooh. Sounds like an Australian drug. Is that a do? No, it doesn't. Move on. <laughs> you going on with that Xanax. That's a real thing. Oh, yeah, I was trying to I was thinking of that, but I didn't know how to make it work. So uh, Kublai's growing power did not go unnoticed by Monk, who sent two of his trusted aides to Kublai's new capital to investigate their revenue collection. So after a hasty audit, they uncovered what they claimed to be numerous breaches of the law and began to violently purge the administration of high-ranking Chinese officials. So Monk wasn't happy with the Chinese integration, mate. Yeah. He wasn't happy. Cheeky bastards. So uh, Kublai's Confucian and Buddhist advisors persuaded Kublai to appeal to his brother on a familial level. In person, nice and up close. Oh, yeah. So Monk, facing both a religious conflict between Buddhists and Daoists and a need for allies in the conquering the Song dynasty in southern China, made peace with his bro. Oh, they made peace. Cute, man. Yeah. Cute. So, 1259, Monk died in battle. 
and Kublai learned of his brother's demise while fighting the Song in the Sichuan province. So, a bloke known by the name Eric Boke gathered a troops. A bit of Boke gathered the troops and held an assembly, as you educated us before, Brett, called a Kurultai yeah. in Karakoram, where he was named Great Khan. And this is the bloke I mentioned self-appointed himself. Uh, so I'll K- run shit. <laughs> I'll so. fucking do it. <laughs> Fuck that Kublai cunt. So Kublai and Helaju, who returned from the Middle East upon hearing of Monk's death, held their own Kurultai. Kublai was named Great Khan, sparking a civil war, which eventually would end with Arik Bokeh's surrender in 1264. So Bokeh, you ain't shit. Yeah. You're done. You're done. Good on him. So uh, you've got a bit... On the next yeah, important yeah, part so of Kublai's life, tell us about the Yuan Dynasty. Yes. Right? So as Great Khan, Kublai set his sights on unifying all of China in 1271. He established his capital at modern-day Beijing and named his empire the Yuan Dynasty, one of the several efforts to win over his Chinese subjects. His efforts paid off. We have much of the Song imperial family surrendering to Kublai in 1276, but the war continued for another three years. In 1279, Kublai became the first Mongol to rule all of China when he conquered the last of the Song loyalists. Yeah. <laughs> Little fun fact, in the Mongol, uh, sorry, in Marco Polo, the, uh, the last uh, Song loyalist was a prince. And he was like, I was going to bring it up as, as fact, but it's not fact. But he murdered this like little um, Chinese prince. I was going to say he's dead prince now, mate. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're all dead. But anyway, uh, Kublai held a relatively wise and um, benevolent reign uh, with his rule distinguished by grand infrastructure improvements, including the efficient Mongolian postal system and the extension of the Grand Canal. Religious tolerance, scientific advancements... Paper currency backed by gold reserves and trade expansions. Despite adopting and improving on many Chinese systems and ideals, Kublai and his Mongols did not want to become Chinese. They kept many of their own customs and remain uh, unassimilated to the Chinese life. In 1257, Marco, here we go, but Marco Polo uh, was presented at the court of Kublai Khan. The young Venetian so impressed, so impressed the ruler that he appointed him to several diplomatic and administrative posts, which he held for about 16 years before his return to Venice. So, yeah, we all, like, even the kids' game, like the, the game in the pool, Marco Polo, that's, uh, I believe that's where it comes from, from from this big dog. Everyone knows Venice. Marco Polo. Even if you You're don't know who Marco Polo is, you hear the name and you go, oh, yeah. yeah you yeah. either assimilate it to the game or you assimilate it to... The person who was. Yeah, yeah. So he, um, he, he's a gang now. <laughs> it's a child's gang. It's a gang. <laughs> but he wrote amazing books and uh, documented a lot of amazing history that, that we wouldn't have to this day. We, wouldn't be, we probably mm. wouldn't know a lot of this if it wasn't for Marco Polo. So thanks, Marco. That's right. It, may, it really makes you wonder that part you were talking about where he would just strive to take over Chinese lands, but then you wonder where they draw the line between respect for the Chinese and decimation of the Chinese. Mm-hmm. Like, where would you hold? Where would you hold back? Where would you hold restraint before totally annihilating a city? Well, you always, like, I guess, the key to any sort of dictatorship is, is making 
keeping your enemies close, or it's like the old mm. saying, you know, keep your enemies close. More yeah. acquisition rather than domination. Because mm. he knows if he kept them like on the sideline, they just would have rebelled. Yeah. So, but like letting them be, yeah, you can be Buddhist, yeah, you can believe whatever you want, yeah, you can have your own land and still, but hey, who's the big papa? <laughs> Pray for me, cunt. <laughs> ah! Damn it! <laughs> Try not to say the C bomb. Couldn't get through one episode without saying the C bomb. I think I opened up that can of worms for you about five minutes ago. Oh, did you say it already? Yeah, I said the C word already. Oh, so you're all right, mate. Don't worry me. about it. Oh, nice. We're an Australian podcast. Don't be afraid, Brett. Don't oh, be ashamed. But you know. Be yourself. I can imagine mum listening to this and going, oh, just, you know, <laughs> just getting the shit you know, out. Oh. You know, it just cuts through some people. Oh, I, mean, I get that um, response every time I talk to a family member that listens to the show. They're like, oh, yeah, I heard you the other day. You're a bit uh, animated with the words, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> you bet. That's right, cunt. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. <laughs> Move it on. Move it on. Trying, to, trying to be good. All right, so another thing that Kublai sort of was known for, he's probably not a fan of being known for it, but he had a lot of failed military campaigns. Aww. So these campaigns included attacks on Burma, Vietnam, Sakhalin, and... Uh, these successfully resulted in these regions becoming tributary states of the empire. Mm. So they all contributed to that. So Kublai also launched two failed seaborne invasions of Japan. And I think this is important because where Genghis and the Mongol Empire took over the lands, they rarely had to cross any sort of sea. Yeah, but... That's why they're, they're coined as like the, the largest contiguous empire, yeah. like meaning like the, there's no stopping, there's no gap. Yeah, they never had to. They yeah. never had to stop, plan, mm. strategize before. They're not, they're not assholes like the British who are like, we own Australia and New Zealand and you can keep Papua New Guinea. Fuck Papua New Guinea. We're a quarter Why am I shitting on Papua New Guinea tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they weren't very uh, seaborne people or yeah. warriors. No. So... Just living that horseback life. That's right. Well, that's you know what they perfected in a way. True that. Except for Genghis, he fell off and died. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> in 1274 and uh, 1281 is when those invasions of Japan failed. Mm. So they were a vast armada of about 140,000 troops from China. So they converged in ships off the island of Kyushu, but a powerful typhoon, which some Japanese believe to be a kamikaze or a divine wind. Ooh, a bit of a divine wind, eh? Yeah, let's get that up, yeah. <laughs> Struck the invading troops, and many of their vessels sank, and about half of the troops perished or were captured. Shit. Now, I know about recently modern-day J- Japanese war camps. Not a very pretty place, back in 1940-something. Mm. Back then, I can't imagine they'd be much better. No, well, so, seems like they're doing all right back then. The, getting those divine winds to help them out. I reckon. Get me a divine wind today. Give me a couple of million. I'll do that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. You do what? Donations? Uh, no. Oh. Uh, 1293, there was a failed subjugation of Java, which is now modern-day Indonesia. Mm. So, in less than a year, Kublai's troops were forced to withdraw because they were overcome by the tropical heat, terrain, and diseases. So, again, very different terrain that the Mongol Empire is used to. Yeah. So, do you wonder if Genghis might have struggled by taking... If he continued by taking over the world, how far do you reckon he would have got? Hmm. I guess age was... Because this, don't forget, this is where the Germans fucked up. They tried to go into Russia. Yeah. And they got fucked. Couldn't handle it. Well, I don't know. Like, it seems like the... I think, like, in Mongolia, like, the... Like, the winters are pretty harsh. So, like, as I said at the very beginning, um, like, they took over, like, a lot of modern-day Russia and, and so on. 
So they were sweet, mate. They could do it all. Nothing on a British. No, if they had boats, they would have taken it all. <laughs> boats and fucking wigs. It's just the boys from Bradford. Well, yeah. Well, he um, Kublai was like his name went all the way to the Vatican. They were getting very concerned mm. that he was sneaking in. They're like, "Who's this? This barbarian just taking shit over?" And he's like, "I'll see you soon." <laughs> he was such a gnarly yeah. cunt, man. Damn it! <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, everybody. I'm trying to be good. He was though. He was an early one. <laughs> <laughs> he doubled Genghis's empire at the yeah. end of the day. Well, that's what that I was going to say, like you, you look at Kublai and what he created, like sitting up in his capital on a throne. Very different to Genghis because Genghis was still living off the land, yeah. horseback, uh, military, going from place to place. Whereas Kublai sort of set up shop, mm. set himself up as an emperor. He was an emperor, and then set up a capital. Mm. So he was a force that was getting noticed by all the other forces in the world at the time. Mm. You know, he's almost seen as a big, you know, threat. He was a threat. Oh yeah, but, and yeah. like imagine, imagine the stories going around. Imagine like being in Europe, for instance, and hearing that they're like boiling people alive. The craziest thing is how Genghis um killed his like his like blood brother Jamuka, like um because they both wanted power, so wanted to go. So how they they killed him. He asked uh, Jengus, he's like, man, just don't, give me an honourable killing. So what that means is, like, no blood can be shed. So how they, they killed him, Jamuka, is Jengus had his soldiers, like, have him, like, sit down on his knees and then, like, push him from his chest backwards all the way till his back snapped. And that was an honourable death. And they also had, like, other deaths... I don't know if this is honourable or not, but other, other like, sentence... This is an honourable death, actually. But a way uh, someone's sentenced to death, like, if you've been messing about or whatever, is they put you in carpet and, like, roll you up in that carpet, put you in a field, and then have a herd of horses run yeah, over you. Yeah, that doesn't sound too honourable. <laughs> yeah, that just yeah, sounds painful. How would they break their back? They use a horse? Because I heard the first that they use horses to separate people limb yeah. from body yeah they've done all sorts man it was very creative uh, the mongols jesus don't pull too hard on jamuka you might but, split him but if i was gonna if i was sentenced to death that's not a bad way to go hurt of horses back broken nah hurt of horses man hurt of horses yeah i'll take the horses are you for real what would you take you'd want to hope that one of the hoofs hit you right in the head first that's the idea, mate. you'd they be do. in pain they do the idea is you're dead after like one trot oh man that's like telling me that the idea of medieval like deaths and executions were supposed to be quick and painless. Mm. Like depends if the fucking executor wasn't drunk on that day. You probably Ooh. miss. Oh, you got <laughs> got the visual in my head now. But like, you know, when like I don't know where I've seen it, but where like it must have been on some show where yeah, I know it's Chris, Chris Angel. <laughs> Chris Angel. Chris Angel. Yeah, oh, Chris it was Angel. a prank. Oh, was it? It got stuck. Yeah, but that would have happened. The guillotine wasn't sharpened. Oh. Fucking old mate Beryl, she was in charge of sharpening <laughs> the guillotine the night before. She forgot. Got too many shandies. And no, old like mates that. up there. You like, fucking next half cut. Oh man, not a good way to go. No, no. That's what I'm saying. Horses, all right. Run over me. Yeah, you know it doesn't sound bad now that you think of that. Because you don't even know it's coming. You hear him. Oh, imagine hearing him. <laughs> That'll oh, be the worst part. It would it? be. <laughs> Give me some earplugs. Yeah, I reckon. All Speaking right. of death, let's wrap it back up. Yeah, Kublai's so, death. So Kublai, you had to die. Eventually. Everyone does. Everyone does. Until we discover anti-aging, then we live forever, Brett. We might live in them forever. Trace mates forever. <laughs> so, <laughs> Kublai's death. So, as he got older, Kublai began to withdraw from day-to-day administration of his empire. This was particularly noticeable after his wife, Chabi, 
the coolest name ever. I'm going to name my daughter Chabby. Yeah, it's yeah. not a bad one. Commence the bullying. Uh, died in 1281. <laughs> Good luck. Chubby Hedgecock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So, Maybe a middle name. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Yeah, you couldn't do it. If no, you love you your child, you wouldn't you do it. That is just a bombardment of cock jokes. <laughs> yeah, I reckon. Never end. So, Chubby died in 1281 and his oldest son died in 1285. Fucking good bloke. Got mm. it rough. So, after this, he drank and ate in excess, causing him to become more obese. He additionally got plagued by gout for many years, and it worsened and worsened. Mm. So, you know, Jangus honorably fell off a horse, and Kublai got fat. So, he died on February 18th, 1294, the age of 79, and Good he run. was buried in the Khan's secret burial site in Mongolia. Don't think we know where Kublai is either. Wow, I wonder if they you say secret burial site, is this where they put all of them? No, 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 no. no. So each had their own. Yeah. Hmm. No way. Because then we'll know. Then we'll know where it is. How would they know? Maybe the the wife and so on. Unless it's... Maybe it's only family known. We'll we'll leave that out to the listeners at home to look into that deeper if you want. (laughs) Get conspiratory. So uh, the uprisings against Mongol rule would then begin... 30-some years later, and by 1368, the Yuan dynasty was overthrown. Oh, and the no. Mongol Empire dispersed. So, that's the two major dictators of the Mongol Empire. So, yeah. you might wonder, what the hell happened to them? How come they're not running shit? China, why is China running gonna shit? I was going to say, look at modern-day Mongolia compared to China. It's not good. It's ridiculous. They're, um, We're all fearing China at the moment. Yeah, do you, do you know much about it, mate? They, they um, I, I heard the other day, and the other week, I should say that in Mongolian schools, they're now in their curriculum. They now need to be taught in Mandarin instead of like their native tongue. That's bad, eh? That's the, that's the beginning of the fucking end, isn't it? That's just that's totally eradicating a culture. Yeah, that's what they're doing, man. If you haven't realised, they're they're doing it to everything. <laughs> just waiting for thousands of years revenge. Yeah, so we're totally just gonna pretend you didn't fucking exist. So how they died off, like the Black Death or the Black Plague, uh, sort of came about, and that sort of killed a lot of the Mongolians living their nomadic lives and being out there. They they sort of struggled, and like the whole world sort of struggled. It estimatedly killed the Black Death seventy five to two hundred million people. Could you imagine if yeah, Corona was fuck that fuck now? This <sighs> disease took it all. Yeah. Came along and fucked shit up. Well, I mean, you know, we've seen the explosion of COVID-19, so you can imagine how devastating that... We all know how devastating the Black Plague was, but Mm. without modern-day medicine... Yeah, it'd be shocking, wouldn't it? Devastating. It'd be shocking. And and with information not being at everyone's fingertips, like it's... You know, time back then with Black Plague, a plague coming around, it's just like, good luck. We even talked about it in the past, I think, uh, like Amazon tribes and stuff, like people go in and like seeing Amazon tribes for the first time and they don't have um, any immunity to like yeah. any sort of diseases that you're you right that we're carry. carrying. Yeah, so they just killed out like all these tribes and <laughs> by accident. Bring in some bread and some, some fucking magazines. Like, oh, have, have a look at this. And in the Touch meantime, it, you, you kill them. Yeah. It's not good, but that's the Mongol Empire, everybody. Wrapped up. Wrapped up. Look at us go, Hedge. Killing it. We're doing well. We're, who knows what's going to be next? Well, next is um, we're going to do a 
We'll, we'll do, do a few it. more. There's a few more Christmas up. special. A bit of Christmas special. We're going to get jingly up in here. There'll be a few jingles going around. We'll do a New Year's special. New Year's. New Year's Eve, I would imagine, mate. Yep, yep. We'll do it there. Have you locked it in with um, yep, your done. residence? It's done. Nice. Cool. Water so, slides and all, I oh, would yeah, we'll get loose. Like... We'll Povo loose. water slides. Oh, well, how do you? I mean, tarp with some water on it and some washing detergent. How do you? <laughs> Can't wait. Hope you cut your skin, cunt. Oh, <laughs> I'm glad you snuck in there with it. That'll do us. Okay. Alrighty. Thank you. See you later. Yeah.